0: Hear Me, See Me podcast is sponsored by Zanoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. It's just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did more than I could have ever realized. It helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places, many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America, I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job, this is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast and today I've got someone who I've actually known for such a long time but we've never really been in touch too much. But she's just speaking to us, taking me straight back to the 90s when I first met her. Um, Today I'm talking to lovely Carolyn Newman, how are you?
1: I'm really well, thank you Stuart. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, as I said, as soon as I knew I was going to be speaking to you, I just thought back of the old days, you know, like of uh, when I, my salon was pretty new open and I used to go up to Worthington's and do the, yeah, listen to the talks and things when I first oh. met you. But we'll go on to that anyway at some point because I wanted to go straight in and ask you, you know, like obviously like your early life, then what led you into hairdressing, if you don't mind.
1: Okay, um, well, first of all, you mentioning the 90s sort of brings it all back, doesn't it? (laughs) Absolutely absolutely brilliant. Um, But thank you so much for having me on. And um, my my early life, um, some people know this, but some people don't, is that, um, and you sometimes can hear it in my voice, is that I am Australian, and I actually was born and grew up in Tasmania. And um, I had an incredible childhood. I um, grew up with a brother and two sisters and my parents, and I did a lot of stage work. So I danced from the age of six on stage. I played musical instruments. I did theatre. So I always loved um, presenting myself to people, which has actually really given me a great base for what I did in the future with hairdressing. Uh, But I came to my work experience time I was 15 and I had to choose work experience and um, I wanted to be a journalist and, um, and I, we only had one newspaper where I lived so it was very hard to get into and my mum suggested putting that down as number one but putting maybe hairdressing down as number two she said you're good with people you love your hair you're into fashion." so I just put it down never really thought about it and I got hairdressing as my work experience, so I, I sort of knew that I probably would. And I can say, honestly, that the minute I walked in the door of the salon, I knew this was where I was going to be.
2: Yeah.
1: I sort of knew that it was quite exciting. And also going in, not to have my hair done, but going in to work there was such a different, different feeling. Um, and from there I got a... Um, As soon as I did my work experience, I loved it so much. I went to my salon down the road, down the hill where I lived. And I went and worked there every Wednesday and Saturday. And then they gave me an apprenticeship. And um, and that was really exciting because I didn't want to go on to college or go to university because it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a hairdresser. So it was really important. I got an apprenticeship so my mum and dad and I really worked hard on going to lots of interviews so that I can have offers when I left school because I think that's a bit of a scary thing when you leave school and you go right I need to get a job now and you don't know if you can get a job um for me there wasn't an option I had to get a job and um And so, yeah, so I did did my apprenticeship at a lovely salon called Sam's Hair Design. And then after I finished there, I moved on to a salon in the town called The Terrace, which was sort of the sort of known society salon. And that was run by two fabulous guys, Robin and Michael, who often went to London. And they worked in London. They worked at Michael John.
2: Oh, right.
1: Yeah, so they, they've done the London scene. So for me, growing there, I was always, I, by then I'd done my apprenticeship and I was a stylist. But for me, that was real inspiration. And my grandmother is Welsh, and well, she was Welsh, and she was born in Cardiff. And she, I always said, because I could come over on a, a good visa, I'm going to London, I'm going to London. So in in 1989, I came to London. I was a bit older by then. Um, I was 24. And the reason why I left a little bit later was that a lot of people in Tasmania would go, right, I've done my apprenticeship, I'm 18, I'm going overseas. And then they'd be back within three or four months because... They couldn't cope with it. They weren't, they weren't ready for it. So I sort of waited a little bit until I had some money under my belt. And also I went with a great friend. And I was also a bit more mature and also mature in the hair world. I was a stylist. So, you know, I, I knew I, I had my, finished my apprenticeship. Um, and I came in 1989. I've been here
0: ever since. <laughs> and where did you first work in London?
1: So when I first worked worked in London, so again I think I think for anyone moving overseas anywhere, you do think, oh, I'm qualified and you know I'm just going to get a job anywhere. And we know at the time in the early nineties it was very difficult to get work as a stylist in London. In London they want you to retrain all the time, um, so you have to really prove yourself. I did a lot of trials and a lot of tests. I went I went to the big salons, and I was going to have to go back and retrain for probably two or three years. So you have to weigh that up. You have to decide whether that's what you really want to do. Have you got the money for that? Because yeah. you won't be earning a lot. Or can you find another way? Um, so I, I just sort of think you need to do your research, but you also need to respect those. If those companies say this is how it is, that's how it is. Yeah. But there are other salons that you can actually go to as well. Um, so I actually ended up going out of London to Surbiton uh, because I just couldn't find the right job for me in London at the time. And I kept, you know, looking at, for, for jobs. And I ended up going to work for Nicholas French, who's actually a very well-known hairdresser in America now. Right. Um, and he works a lot for the Matrix. If you see, he, work, he works... Um, a lot for *Woken* and the *Matrix*, and um, does a lot of the big big shows over there. Um, and he ended up opening a salon in London, so I got to work a little bit in London. Yeah, so I worked there for a year, and the it's very funny how. My the path of how I got to where I am now is all down to me walking down Carnaby Street one afternoon, and that is definitely how my life changed forever. And, that, and, and I know it sounds
2: dramatic.
0: <laughs> I it all the time. There's these sliding door moments, and then, yeah, you know, if you'd have not done it that day, maybe that would have yeah. No, so
1: I was I was working for Nicholas French, The team were fantastic and we had such a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, But he had a salon in service in which I worked at. Then when he opened London, I did Mondays and Fridays in London. So I started to get my taste of London, if you know what I mean. Weirdly, I lived in London and travelled out to to Surbiton. Um, So, you know, I always knew that I wanted to come back to London. And I was walking down Carnaby Street to go to Boots in my my lunch break. And I ran into an old school friend who was over here. And he was working... as an accountant for one of the production companies. He was like a junior accountant for one of the production companies for Channel 4. And he worked with everyone that did um, uh, the Clive Anderson shows, Drop the Dead Donkey, all those really old iconic comedy shows on Channel 4. So he had a really amazing, amazing job. (laughs) He was on the accounting team. And his girlfriend who was Tasmanian as well, um, was working for Charles Worthington in Covent Garden. And he, we ran in and we were having a chat and he told me he was going out with Michelle and that they were together. And he said, oh, she's working for a great company. And he said, come and meet us. you know, come and have dinner with us and, you know, come out with us. And at the time, I'd only been in London a year. um, And my friend, I think, was just about to go back to finish her degree so it was at the time when you sort of did hook up with anyone you knew, because I knew no one when I came over here. Yeah. And and that can be a very, very hard time, very lonely. I'd have to say the one thing about working in a hair salon is that you make pe- friends immediately and you've got people that will take you out. So if you say, oh, I'm, I'm not doing anything tonight, like, oh, we're going out, come with us. Yeah. You know, so you immediately create a social life for yourself because of the energy of, of, of the salon team and people, you know, we'll have a quick drink after work or dinner. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so I met her and she just told me all about the Charles Wilmington Company she was working for. And she said, we're looking for stylists. I think you'd you'd be really good there. Yeah. And she had about three or four years before me worked at the place I'd worked in Tasmania. So we, we knew each other, but we weren't, we didn't know each other well, but we became really good friends. Um, and again, I then went and had an interview at the Salon in Covent Garden. And for the minute I walked in and met Charles and Alan, and uh, I just thought they were great. And then obviously I had to do my tra- trade test. Um, and then I couldn't believe that they they offered me the job um to join them as a stylist. And they at the time they'd been operating for four years so they were in the world of hairdressing when you look at the other companies that were around at the time so soon Trevor Sorby John Frieda Tony and Guy etc they were quite young in that world yeah. um, because the others had been going for like 10 10 years 10 15 years yeah. um, and so um, I joined as a, um, a stylist and from day one I just knew this is, was a, a great place and, you know, the wonderful people and, you know, the late Jane Worthington, Charles' sister, you know, they were incredible and they always said, what you put in, you get out of. So if you want to progress, we were a young company, if you want to progress with us and yeah. you work hard, you will progress with us. Yeah. And... No, it was true, and I think I met you by coming up to you. Came up to the salons, didn't you, to
2: L'Oreal?
0: No, L'Oreal, yeah. I mean, what it was a, it, I mean, oh, I'm, just, I'm just I'm reliving so many things as you're <laughs> talking. I'm going all the way through. <laughs> and and at, by that time, um, I'd opened my own salon. So I opened my own. I'd done ten years. So I opened my own salon in eighty eight. But I started in '78.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, right. As yeah. a
0: trainee for a same yeah. story, the the sort of the the, the go-to centre of the area. I spent five years with those, then I went freelance for five years, um, and then I probably had to sell on about two or three years. Um, I'd had no managerial experience because I would left and then gone freelance, and I just opened, I sold my home and bought a building and opened the salon. But <laughs> from day one, I had no clue how to run it. Yeah, had no business sense. I was very artistic. I had no, and what drew me, with, L'Oreal started doing these days where you could go up and meet people. And I found the Worthington's one, when I went up to see that, it blew me. It just, you know, when you had them right bulb moments. Yeah. And as your old stylists in Australia used to come to um, mm-hmm. London and bring that back to there, that's yeah. exactly what I had this, yeah. this thing to do yeah um, and people thought I was nuts and I was a bit nuts at the time because I just as I was at that age all in you know like I'm all in uh, yeah. and I saw uh, and the great the great thing was that you had the artistic skill of, of Charles but the business acumen of Alan
1: absolutely yeah
0: that is such a crucial thing in our industry where some yeah. have got one or the other but to get yeah. that that was the power of those. Yeah. And I forget the story they said on that first day was that Alan, uh, that Charles got the offer of doing a Vogue shoot. Yeah. And Alan stopped him doing it because at that stage they needed the month. They needed the Could you? That's yeah. to do for free, don't you? Yeah. needed, you know. They need, um, he needed to be yeah. working
1: in salon earning money. That, that was definitely the balance. But I just want to go back. When I was doing my training at Sam's Hair Design in Tasmania, yeah. Yeah. My boss, Christine Davies, once a year would fly to London and do courses over there and then bring them back. And I just think, like, I was really fortunate because at that time, I just want to make everyone aware that at that time, there was no microphones, no no okay. internet. I used to get... Hairdressers Journal International, six months later than anyone else. <laughs> and so, you know, to have that, as you say, what you did to, to come down, you know, to come to London, that's that really, people were doing that all over the, over the world. But that's really what, again, to, London was being brought back to me in a tiny little salon in in yeah. Tasmania, um, and I was 16 at the time. Yeah. So that impression always meant, so me coming and doing these things with Charles and Alan and working with Charles, who's, you know, creative genius and Alan, the business genius,
2: yeah.
1: um, I just learned so much from, from both of them. And also it, for me it was, this was London, and so I couldn't believe I was riding this. Um, but I was very fortunate after eight weeks working there, They asked me if I would like to train as a deputy manager uh, for their salons. But what they wanted was they wanted a commitment of a couple of years. And I was going back for a wedding to Australia. I'd already been over here nearly two years. And I remember going back home to my parents and telling them this is what I've been offered. But they had to understand that I was going to be away for, for two years and because i was the first child there to come overseas and um they um my dad just said you could be doing this in Sydney or Melbourne, but you're being asked to do this in London. You're going back. <laughs> and he wasn't knowing any of that, you know. And, uh,
0: generous, isn't it? That's that's real generosity towards your child.
1: Well, my my parents have been incredible. I asked my dad in 2010. But my mum my is, is in um, Adelaide. She's 84. But um, my parents have always absolutely supported me. I mean, mum did not want me to go. Mum did not want me to go because she knew I wouldn't come back. Um, and I've been here longer than I've lived in Australia. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, it was incredible from for them. And then my brother met an English girl and came over. Yeah, oh. so they had two of their children over oh, here. God. Luckily, they had the other two um, that had all the kids back there. But, yeah. but it was, I don't know, at the time for them to say that, and it was very important to have that support. But I think I think I ended up getting an incredible group of girlfriends who are not hairdressers and they are my family over here to support me and then also having a really good support network at work. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the key things what you were saying with the business things is that I learned to run a salon as well as create be creative. So I, most of the time I was a manager and on the art team.
2: Yeah. So,
1: you know, one thing about Charles Worthington you weren't just pigeonholed in one area. You were taught lots and lots of different things. Um, that can be good, but sometimes you then want to specialise a little bit, like you want to just be management or you want to be creative. Um, but at the time, we were doing all bits of, of everything. At one point, I think I was in charge of the training and looking after the art team a bit and managing a salon. <laughs> so I was doing all three different jobs. Um, yeah. But it was exciting. It was really exciting. And I think the key thing about why I could do these jobs or why I could be pushed is, first of all, they did push me. So they set me tasks that I thought I could never achieve. And I'm very much like, give me something. If you want me to do it, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. So I wanted to prove to them that I could could do it and to myself. And secondly, they gave me education and training support. Um, you mentioned Alan Austin Smith, um, with a, from the Fantastic Hairdresser. And when Alan first started, he ran these he did a business course, which I know Jane Worthington attended, but I attended all the management training. Yeah. And that gave me such a confidence to then be able to manage people in salons. And, you know, I still use those management skills now. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that's the thing, you know, the inspiration, you know, the things that we got to do when we did education with L'Oreal and they took me all over the world. Um, and that's where the stage work came in, is that I wasn't afraid of getting up on stage and talking to people because yeah. I've been doing it since I was six. Yeah. I was more concerned about what my hair work was going to look like Rather than the talking, a lot of hairdressers are a bit scared of the speaking part. That yeah. for me was nothing; I didn't didn't bother me.
0: interesting <laughs> that sometimes you know the the, the, the stylists who can talk all day long, you know, six yeah. days a week. Yeah. I want to start put a microphone near them and <laughs> they just clam up. I've seen it so many times, and <laughs> it's so odd because you think. This isn't you. You're so outgoing and so flamboyant, and all of a sudden,
1: I know. You know, all my classes that I teach, when I teach, I ask them when they when we have to do models, when they do models, I ask them all to present their model back before they leave to the class. Now, the reason why I do that is so that the students who've been busy with their model can see what has been done and may get some ideas of some colour or styling combinations or tips and tricks. But when I say, oh, you've just got to present to the class, go, Oh, I don't wanna I don't wanna do that, and they go, You've just been talking non-stop to your client. And I went, mean, you have to, you have just have to present her because and, and I would not I would not let anyone get out of that. I made them, even if I had to ask them the questions, and I'd just say, Well, you answered my questions. But are you I myself used to find that like you weird because yeah. we talk all, all the time. But I think I think going on stage with a microphone is a little bit more scary. Yeah. But I think I think Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. It's making people more confident with these things. So maybe this will help the next hairdressing presenters of the future.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Undoubtedly, everyone's become, yeah, so, so sort of social media. So, and yeah. uh, 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 presentable.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and we've had to, in the last year, had to present on screen. Yeah. yeah pitch yeah. for business, talk to, you know, be in serious meeting or show models or things. So I think, you know, I think that will help more the confidence because it's yeah. practice
0: yeah I was going to going back to Worthington's it was the, the time it's not going to be the whole thing about Worthington's but it's yeah. just such a, it, it plays such a big part well,
1: It. I was there for 25 years right? it played yeah. an enormous yeah. part of my life so yeah, so yeah and, and it was known it was started off as Worthington's and then it went to Worthington's Heron Beauty Company and then it ended up now where it's Charles Worthington London yeah. so it went full, full circle and that's where
0: yeah. they are now I mean because when I had um, I mean that inspiration they gave me, I came back and uh, <laughs> even the details, I, I was asking them, I even asked them where they got their coffee from because they had <laughs> these little, they had these Rombats coffee filters on top of the cups, you know, yes, yes. tray, and I, I went back, I wanted to know where they got the trays. <laughs> I must have drove out of mad. I wanted to know where <laughs> they got the trays, where they got the cups, where they got, and um, I came back and overnight, virtually overnight i doubled the salon's prices wow that, yeah. i look back I, actually talking about alan he always uses that as a story you know, like it's made me yeah. not, not to do it but mm. having that bravery to just go, go no we're not doing this anymore i should yeah. i should have phased it in but <laughs> like, you know I, I was different from yeah. that from that from that one day's education i came back and we're not like that now we are now London service. So we now, and we had the trays, and we had the coffee, yeah. and we had the head massages, yeah. the hygiene bags, and all these things. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the inspiration that, that people can give other people. You know that, that inspiration is so special, yes. and to the point where one day, you imagine I had seven for thirty years. You imagine how many stylists left. Yeah. Sometimes it isn't the best thing when someone. No. I had a young girl, Julie, and as soon as she said, I'm leaving, I, I kn- you know, they walk in the office and you go, right, she's going. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, and I said, well, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to work for Worthington's. And I've never been so proud. And I was like, <laughs> I was like Julie, you're going to work for oh, That's amazing. You know, <laughs> such a, I mean, fortunately, she's been taken from us far too young. Yeah. But, uh, bless her. But yeah, I was so pleased when she went. So clear,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: and I think I think that was a big difference because at the time, so Tosworth um, until I think opened in um, yeah 1986. So at the at the time, they the hair, the the London scene was all about the haircut. Right. Um, and it had come from the susun era where people were not really they were still doing blow dries but it was more about about the haircut and it was more about clients coming in and just getting the haircut um and and or color technique but not much about the service or hmm. you know having having time and i think the big difference was when Charles and Alan joined together, was Alan used to be the um, general manager for two of the biggest restaurants in town, which one was Every called Coconut Park. Park and po- Up <laughs> <Coconut, Coconut laughs> Grove. Yeah. And and so they were they were places where um, um Rolling Stones used to go, Mick Jagger, um, David Bowie used to go. And he was the general manager, and he ran both restaurants. Yeah. And so when he came to join up with Charles, they he sort of at first said, what am I going to do? But he then did the general management role, but he also did the marketing and the PR. So while Charles was doing the hair, Alan was on the phone calling all the journalists and, you know, trying to... Talk, get them to talk about Charles Worthington and I want to point out that didn't take you know a couple of weeks that took a couple of years you know of that relentless focus on that but yeah. also what he brought was the service element mm. and so the idea was that you know you came for um to get your hair done but you walked into a salon with beautiful flowers great music for the clients, not for the team. Yeah, yeah. Again, at the time in the 90s, it was all about how loud could the music be. Yeah. Um, and it was more about, you were in a club, where this was more for the clients. Yeah. And secondly, it was also about, and the, at the time when they launched the refreshments, they did it for free, but they put the price of the refreshments in the cost of the service. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, coffee tea, and, you know, glass of champagne while you're having your haircut. Lots of people that wasn't happening, and as you said, I can remember at seminars they would get out the tray and show how it was presented with the coffee, the tea, or you know, and um, you know, a cake or chocolate or biscuit, um, and then you know, and you got you know, a packet of nuts with your uh, guys could have beers, and yeah. um, and but it was also, I remember a client saying to me. That when she first came, she said, Oh, I came to this salon for the first time when they opened and it was lovely flowers and we got I thought, Oh, that won't last. Yeah.
2: And she said,
1: five years on, the flowers are getting bigger and better every year, you know. Yeah. So I think that so a lot of clients thought at first that this was just an opening thing. And they still do refreshments and drinks and beautiful flowers, you know, now and they they're heading towards, you know. 40, 40 years. Um, so, you know, that, that is incredible. It's about, it's those little, it's a detail, but you had to still deliver fantastic haircut, the fantastic color. Um, but it was very much the detail that, and all of a sudden people were talking about Charles Worthington. And I think very interesting was that Charles had, had come from, um, I think it was Alan, um, I think it might have been LD or one again, one of the companies that wasn't so well known. And then he'd gone and worked at Stage Door as their art director. Right. Uh, Stage Door is where Zoe Irwin, right. Right. yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. came from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so again, that was, he sort of came and all of a sudden there were these salons. And I also, a really big reminder when Charles opened Percy Street, which was one of the big salons of first uh, gorgeous Percy Street, still is today. I remember that we all thought, God, the reception area is huge. Yeah. Why don't you put more stations in there? You know, but he said, when clients walk into a salon, often reception areas are tiny
2: yeah.
1: and they all sit and all hunched up And while they're waiting for their stylist, it's all really busy and very tiny, small, that they start to get stressed and they start to get anxious. Yeah. And he said, I want it to be like a hotel or an airport lounge, like a a business class lounge or an an airport, um, sorry, a hotel lounge where you sit and you relax and it's big. And do you know what? It was such a clever idea and it so worked. Yeah. Because your clients could sit down, we still end up with like three people on the sofa, but it was there was a big table where they could put their drinks, they could sit, and and already they were relaxing. So by the time you got them in the chair, they were all ready to have a some really great service. They weren't stressed, they weren't anxious, um, and especially people that were nervous about having the hair done.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so I thought that was a really really clever. So he he deliberately did that. For the clients, as opposed to putting two more sections in to make more money, but he made more money because of that client experience.
0: And that, and it was the being client-driven. Yeah, so that, and if, the, you know, we go back to the late the late eighties. It was it was hairdresser-driven. When yes, he
1: yes, that's the, exactly what it was. Yeah.
0: I think he was one of the first ones that became client-driven. Yes,
1: yeah, and and everything, everything I believed in was always in. And, and again, I always say, when I became colour director, everything I did, whether it was for a shoot, whether it was for a hair show, every technique I created, they said, you've now got to create that technique and modify it so that we can sell it on the shop floor and make money from that." so it was all all leaked so we we didn't go out and do we did do some crazy stuff on our big shows but like our signature technique all had to be used in the salon and we sold them as services even some of our we did tie dyeing in the salon of clients yeah and we did it soft and that sort of became the new dip dye freehand sort of coloring stage back in the mid 90s so again again, they always were, they always have been client-centric. And I think, I think what's really interesting, I think then everyone sort of started to catch up.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think what's really interesting with what's happened to us as hairdressers in the last two years is that the drinks and things are important but it's not the beauty of them anymore. It's the hygiene and the health of them. So yeah. you you know instead of having a beautiful cafetiere, you have coffee in a in a paper coffee cup. But you have it with a lid on it, so the client can take it away. Yeah. Um, you can give them a biscuits or something, but they're in a sealed container. And if they don't use it, they take it away because otherwise you can't reuse it. No, so right. all that all that sort of you know again good salons, We're looking at trying to find the best sort of, you know, disposable gowns, the best towels to try and give that sort of quality. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of changed a little bit, which in a way has exposed people a little bit more, I think, and in a good way.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean in a really you know, good way. You know, I was gonna I was gonna say about, you know, about the effect the pandemic's had on the industry and, and about how has it how has it affected you in, you know personally?
1: Um I think I think with me personally because I'm I'm now um, I'm now freelance um, and I so I left Charles Worthington in 2016 um, main, mainly to I wanted to have a slightly more balanced life because my mum's getting older in Australia, so I want to go back over there a bit more. I'm going to be doing – I've already gone over there once and done some teaching over there, um, which has been great. So I can sort of do a bit of work over there while I go and see my family. Um, And also I wanted to start doing some education and um, just looking at some slightly different things. But I also was doing hair, so I was working – for my friend Mark Trinder from and Sophie Trinder who are ex-Charles Worthington people oh. and they've got a beautiful salon up in St Albans oh. and I actually went to work there again by accident because one of his, he just moved salons and he, one of his stylists broke her ankle and um, I again, he had no one that could take over because and um, so he said could I come in and help out and uh, I I was supposed to be there for eight weeks, and I stayed there for two years. (laughs) I did two days a week there, and then I did um, one day a week at Hunter Collective, which, you know, is a co-working space for um, independent freelance hairdressers, which is the new movement, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, But what I found with the pan, uh, so that's where I was at. So I was doing hair... um, to one or one or two days a week, and then I was doing my education before COVID, COVID hit. Um, and I'd always decided to, you know, I I've been in the industry forty years, so I decided I wasn't going to work like a crazy woman anymore. So I was working three or four days a week, and that's what I wanted to do. So, um, so I could focus on other things. like think we're working on a house at the moment and things like that. Yeah. And um, when COVID hit, I think. I think, first of all, it was incredibly scary. I think it's also very different when your family lives on the other side of the world. But luckily, I had just been in Australia at the end of 2019. And that was a surprise visit. I'd gone over there as a surprise because someone had asked me to go and do some work out there. So I went out and worked in Perth for a week, and then I ended up spending a month at home with my family. Um, so which was incredible because no one knew. Oh. But I came back at the beginning, um, middle of November, December, and people were always already talking about things going on in China, but no one was saying what it was or, you know, um, and we were on the plane. You know, someone said, yeah. have you heard of, you know, There's a problem in China with a disease like, you know, they had before. And I think a lot of people thought it was going to be the swine flu and thought, it's going to be the swine flu, it's going to be contained, and that is it. Um, And as we know, it was very different. But I think the the first thing was a little bit scary, and, you know, luckily – in the, I mean, I don't know what we would have done without, you know, laptops and, you know, the internet and to be able to, you know, do things like this, but also communicate. You know, I could get straight on and FaceTime my family and go, we're fine, you're fine. Um, and I'm really lucky. My family, we've always been really grounded. So if you hear something really bad's happened in Australia or they hear a bomb's gone off in London, you know, my mum and dad used to have maps. And they go, okay, so Carolyn works there and the bomb's gone off over there. They were really, really, really practical about it, which was great for me because – we didn't go through that hysterical emotion. Like, put on a plane and come home now. You're not living over there. <laughs> I remember my mom telling me I was not allowed to go on the tube at night when I first came to London. <laughs> and I rang my mom up and said, "There's more people on the tube at night than there is out in the street because <laughs> 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 people were all going home." But you know, like, if you you had to, you know, obviously communicate with them. But I think I think the whole thing about the pandemic is we've all had to communicate. Bit more um, so I think for me personally I'm going to say what do for me personally but then the industry is so I think for me personally one of the things that as my my husband's self-employed so he taught me as soon as I went self-employed how to manage my money um and because I've been employed for 30 something years you know this was scary for me um and and also we sat down and said Okay, financially, and we didn't know if we were going to get any help. We didn't know we'd get any help with our mortgage or stuff. And we just sat down and we went, actually... We can be okay for the next six months if we, you know, we'll have to be careful, but we could survive. And that was because when you're self employed, you definitely, and I think, I think this is where some salons report, because you do have to put money, whether you're a salon owner, whether you're a freelancer, whether you're a young stylist, a young apprentice, you should be putting a little bit of money away each month as savings. And yes, when times are great. Can, that can be your holiday money and your house money, etc. But when times are bad, that's your, net, that's your, your safety net. Um, and I think so we immediately relax. But, of course, I ended up, I'm very fortunate because I don't just do hair. Yeah. So I do management, I do coaching, I do education, and um, I also can do consultations online. So as soon as we went into lockdown, I got really quite busy. Of
2: course.
1: Um, and, and so that for me was actually quite good because it was a distraction. So it meant that my, you know, often I'd be caught up and saying, you're doing a whole day of consultations tomorrow. Um, and it was about talking to people about what they could use if they couldn't, you know, they couldn't get to the hairdressers, how could they wear their hair? What would I recommend that, that they use? And it was by-product companies. Um, and I, it, was, it was great because I often, you know, I had to get up and have a full routine of a day. Um, but also it was about reaching out to other hairdressers. I think I contacted regularly People that I knew were either on their own, or you know, worked for big companies, but maybe lived alone. You know, they, my industry friends, just to make sure they're okay. And a lot of us would speak weekly, just just to say hello, because yes. as you know, hairdressers we <laughs> so are people that love being around people. I, know.
2: You know? I
1: know. Um, And I think I think all the education. One of the things I didn't do in the first lockdown. Because everyone was doing it. let get out of doll's head and just everyone was doing it. And so I went down the other way and did more. I did a lot of, um, I created a thing called Carolyn's um, Colour Business Chats. And uh, I was asked to put something up on charity, for the hairdresser's charity, yeah. that they could auction. Um, and so I said, they can have someone can have, you know, two hours with me. Um, and all of a sudden I had three people bidding for me that wanted it. So I actually gave it all to three of them if they donated to the charity.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and that was a real turning point for me, and actually now, because Carol's Color Business chat is for people that either work on their own or people who are young and have opened their own salon, a bit like yourself, when yeah. you opened your salon and you know yeah. have no management training, and you can talk to your family. But actually, you can talk to me and say, I've got an issue with my team, or I want to put my prices up, or we want to introduce different colour services, or we've got problems with with some colour complaints, and I'm the person you talk to. And because also what I discovered was, I've got a really good address book. So people saying to me, I'd like to get into a session, or I'd like to talk to someone about, you know, doing a shoot. Who do I talk to? Where do I start? Well, you know, what, what chair shows should I go to when we come out of this? Yeah. Um, and I also discovered that a lot of people are, you know, not alone because they're living on their own. They're alone in business. And we all know being a boss and a manager, it can be lonely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that that's done really well. And I'm actually doing my business chats at the moment and I'm <laughs> not just calling them colour now because they're a bit educated. I'm working with educators and right. some of them have now, we're educating online, we're educating in England and now I've been asked to educate abroad right. via um, Zoom and I'm helping them formulate that and take it to the next level. Yep. Um, and I'm also working with people who have been educators and now want to work more, you know, want to talk to companies. And so it's all about how do they do that, who's right for them, what should they be doing, what do they need to get into place first? Um, because a lot of people with the internet have gone out there and gone, right, I can do a doll set, I'm going to teach. That is great, but that doesn't make you an educator. You know, I probably was educating in the UK for three or four years before I did my first international um, and then it was still a massive learning curve, um, and I was taken by Charles. And eventually, I started doing my own, where I took people. Mm. But it's like doing your apprenticeship all over again. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so it's you know it, it's great, but that's where I now can I realise that all, all the knowledge I have, all the wealth, of, but also I'm a really good listener. So I listen and think, oh, I've got an idea about what they could do, and I just. Bounce off ideas with, them. and that's what you need. Sometimes you need someone to be able to bounce off ideas with. Um, and if you haven't got someone in there, that's what I've been doing. So it's going really, really well. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think then when I came out of COVID, I came out <laughs> and just said, I realised that there was no going to be no live education last year because we started in July and we went back into lockdown twice more. Is I just went to. Hunter Colleton said I'll do a full day or once a week and do every second Saturday. And I went to Mark and said I'll do two days a week for you because I wanted, first of all, I wanted to fill, fill all my clients in, but also with Mark Salons and Albans, he had such a backlog that I wanted to be able to help him keep his salon and keep it going, um, and that's why I worked for, while I did because, again, it was more now, I, now you know, he he helped and protected me while I was off. I'm going to help to protect him and his, his business, and I think. And that's one thing I did say to all the team is that, you know, they were furloughed, they were protected. I said it's now our turn to look after Mark and Sophie, and yeah. I really hope a lot of salon teams did that, and I'm sure they did. And I know they did, because at the end of the day, it's got to work both both ways. Yeah, um, and um, and I think you know, and that that was that was great. But I've just got to a point now uh, where I'm sort of changing that again. Um, I can talk about that in the end. But for me, with COVID, I think, and then it was sort of it was really weird back in December. I worked like, a, I did extra days and worked like crazy and then we were off again. Yeah. Um, and that's when I set up an online business with com, and that was very busy. But I think when I went back in April, I was much clearer. I was saying some, this to someone the other day. I think I think in when we went back in July, we were all panicking. Yeah. With, I think we all couldn't cope with all the... All of the stuff with PPE we had to wear. Mm. We all were finding clients massive regrowth. Where when I went back in April after three months off, I was really clear, and I went, I knew what I was going to have to wear. And I tell you what, I did do for two weeks before I went back to work. I wore a mask at home during the day because I knew I was going to get on the floor and wear a mask for eight hours again. So used to like, you know, yeah. and I, I just knew that would make me
0: anxious. I also... the only person I know who's done that. And, I, <laughs> I, and, I, and believe me, I speak to hundreds and hundreds of hairdressers on a
2: daily
0: basis. And not one of them has ever said that. And it, yeah, that's, brilliant. <laughs> that's a brilliant idea.
1: I also promised myself that after every client, regardless if I was running late or not, I went out the back and had a drink of water. Yeah. Because I found that I was getting lots of headaches and it was because, and it wasn't because of all the stuff, it was because of the mask. Yeah. I wasn't taking it off and drinking. And after my lunch, I changed my mask. But yeah. I, I actually, um, I made that. And honestly, the difference that that did for me, didn't have any headaches in, in April. Um, and I also was very clear when all the, all the clients, so all my clients were booked in for either a full head of colour, so root you no know, full head permanent colour, or full head highlights. No half heads, no roots. And I might only do the roots, but I needed that extra time because I was using extra colour and things. Yeah. And that's how I did it, and I just made it really clear and said this is what's happening this time. Um, and it was absolutely fine. And also I found that I did not... I found I always ran five ten minutes because you had to re talk to the client, but I actually found that um, I wasn't as stressed, or you know, like as I was before. So
0: you put that time in. Yeah. Prepared, yeah.
1: Prepared yeah. yeah. But I, I do, I, I do, I do believe being on the floor. Because when I my last three years at Charles Worthington, I didn't do lots of clients because I was um, operations director. So for two years, two full years, I ran the company. So I looked after over a hundred, twenty people and three big, two big salons and a smaller salon in the city. But so going back into the salon, I do feel that it's different, and I don't know if you find that when you see salons and things that it's it's different and it you know, with clients, but also all the long hair now. Yeah. Where When we were doing work in the 90s, it was yeah. haircuts, wasn't it? Like yeah. we were colouring haircuts like this or bobs or the longest was sort of here, wasn't it? Yeah. Um,
0: and it, um, it, um, people's, it, it's affected so many different things. People's priorities have changed and their tastes. And, yeah. and, and colour's really interesting, I think, because yeah. so many people have gone natural. yes you would have thought Um, no and you can't argue with it because people human beings are habitual we're very habit forming (laughs) creatures yeah and it it takes about three months to completely change your habit and that's what happened with buying online with having your roots done and all these things we we have to be prepared for a complete like 180 on a lot of things,
1: and I think I think also what I would say I think people, especially especially over, um, you know, the COVID thing, hairdressers, I mean, for the first time, I understand hairdressers getting very scared and like panicking their clients were going to start getting both home color and things. Yeah. Can I just say there is a home color market but most of the people by home colour don't visit salons. Mm -hmm. And then the, the salon head, dress client will always be the salon client. And there was this panic. What I found interesting was that it affected everyone. So actually moaning and complaining about it wasn't going to make any difference because everyone was affected. And I found it quite interesting, you know, when you see, you know, the big salon owners of the, you know, the celebrity hairdressers that we've always looked at and, and heard about, and they're in lockdown, you know, and they can't do something they've been doing for 20, 30, 30 years, right? I kept thinking, I wonder how they're expecting them because, you know, this was all they know, that this was, you know, it's everyone's passion life, and life but it affected everyone equally. So, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't any high agree. um, So, actually, at the end of the day, you know, it's still around. We have to be very careful. We have to protect ourselves and our our clients. And I think it's very interesting at the moment because even though the rules have changed, I don't think a lot of the rules have changed in hair salons at the moment. I think people are still wearing masks i think maybe instead of doing two meters or one meter people are now putting you know more seats in action as well but everyone's still wearing masks everyone's still asking clients wear masks um everyone's using hand sanitizer still and the cleaning and i mean i used to say to clients we used to clean all the time i said i would never come to you a new client and touch your hair if I hadn't washed my hands. Yeah. I said, we always did that, you know. So I said, you know, and it's funny, cleaning sections, I think that's just a habit that is, which is good, that's going to happen all the time.
0: Yeah, there's a lot um, of things. We've, we've adapted, uh, we're doing haircuts from homeless. There's things yeah. that we're going to keep, many, many things that we're going to keep. You know, yeah. we... It's it's brought people's hygiene to people's attention.
1: It's Uh, incredible what you do with the the haircuts for homeless, and I suppose you've had to to really bring in all of that, all that sort of safety procedure, but you were on the road, weren't you? That must have been a challenge.
0: It was really tough. That first, as you said, going back to July of last year, that, that bit was very, very tough because, as well, we'd built up haircuts for homeless as doing... Because going back to my, all these influences, you know, like Charles with Charles, Alan Smith, they was influencing me going around homeless centres, you know, because the, I wanted it to be. Yeah. I wanted it to be. The biggest thing about us is respect. So I wanted that to be as much of a sound experience as possible. So we never, so we built it and it couldn't be sustainable in this climate because we didn't wear gloves we didn't we didn't have aprons we didn't have you know because we we wanted to treat people like human beings yeah you know and people say oh do yeah. I have to and I, I used to really make a thing of it but then obviously we couldn't we literally couldn't after that yeah uh, but then you know you adapt yeah and still i can still i've got gloves and a mask and a visor and an apron but i can still do a head massage yes still yes. show some love and respect yeah so, you know it it will you, you can't get through it you can't get past any of these yeah,
1: yeah. and i think i th- um, i think what's really interesting at the moment is um, I think we you know, we've got, we're coming into event season and that's about to happen for the hair industry. And, you know, less of being, uh, I think, well I just announced they're doing their live event, Creative Head Art will be the British Hair Business Awards and British Hair Awards. Um, so more and more they're live. That will be very interesting because, again, that will be the first time people have been together. And I do know some people that are still incredibly nervous about going into to groups, but as long as, you know, you test yourself or you've been vaccinated and you test yourself, et cetera, just to, you know, make sure you still do hand sanitizers and things. But I think, we have to now start moving a bit forward. Um, I think it's still very much about the salons. I think it's very interesting. I think online education is happening a little bit, Um, but I also think live education is happening a little bit as well. Um, But I understand we've gone through a funny few months, haven't we, where salons have been suffering again because people, either clients are counselling because I have to self-isolate or the team member. Um, And I think... Uh, has had to self-isolate. So I've known people that, you know, their busiest team member has been off for a week again.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think we're still playing a bit of catch-up and I think we will play a bit of catch-up until we get to the end of 2021. I really hope we can do it without having to have any more um, yeah. stops. Oh, please. Um, and then I think, and, and it is, it's incredibly sad, that we've lost salons. It's incredibly sad that 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 has happened. But I really do hope that those salons, you know, the hairdressers have gone on to other salons and have gone on to other jobs because their clients still would have wanted their hair being done. So, um, and we've just, the the wonderful thing about the hair community is how supportive it's been in this. It's been incredible. Um, And, you know, I I mean, I remember um, in the first lockdown, putting on my my, um, Instagram at night and I looked, I could have watched something like 12 lives going on. I think I wanted to watch more. (laughs) And then I just thought, no, I'll turn that off. Yeah, yeah. it was a bit live overload,
2: wasn't
0: it?
1: I know, but it was also, it was great. And as I said, it was, you know, I I reached out to people, you know, we just, you know, often we just speak once on the phone just to say, you know, how are you? Are you okay? Um, And that's really, really important.
0: Um, It was fantastic for me for doing uh, the podcast because I'd spent many a days slepping all the way across London or something with my bag of recording equipment and all (laughs) that. At first it went to taper call where it was audio only and then once the Zoom thing going You know, I'm not going back to anything now, you know. (laughs) No. As soon as we're finished, these will come down and I can go and carry on doing my work, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's, it's so many good things have come out of it.
1: Yeah, well, I, it was really interesting. My the the last lockdown we had from January to April, my husband was working. Uh, he works in the film industry, and um, so um, I've been able to. So this is my dining area, and I've got two massive lights here. And yeah. you know, I, it's just my little studio. I've got my flowers. There was a fruit bowl behind there before, and I, I have a little set that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I do my Lego.
2: Nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. but but yeah. So I just I just use it from here, and you know, and I. Do I did a couple of teaching in October and they went out to people in um, Australia and Ireland, America, which is great. Um, and that's, you know, that's what's exciting. I think at the moment travel is still very up and down and, you know, I probably won't get to Australia till next year. Right. But um, I think I think we've just all got to, you know, just enjoy being together again and, yeah being with people but also in the salon sort of you know supporting each other whether you're supporting your boss or the boss is supporting yeah. you um i think we've all got to support each other a bit more yeah
0: um, that's a, a very that's a really powerful message that we we all have to take on board you know
1: yeah, and, and i think now we've got to hopefully put it behind us and move, move forward but i think i think it's I know in one of your questions, you said I me, mean, What do I think the future of the industry? I think the industry is about to change again. Yeah. And I think it's mainly because, um, and it's already happening, is that the working life pattern of when we used to always have to work on a Saturday, always work late night. You know, I think people being off has realized, like, you know, hairdressers having Saturdays off must have been an absolute delight for some of them who'd always worked Saturday. But I think. I think flexibility is a word that's going to have to happen because we're seeing that happen in the industry because of the independent hairdresser, that now there's these great, sal- these co-working spaces are great salons. These people are constantly training themselves. Um, I think initially t- t- salon owners used to think, well, if you go independent, you don't do training, you don't do this, but these people do. Um, and they are running their own businesses and they're running them well, but they are still a community. So, And they attend training sessions and they, they're looking after their clients, the level they have always have. And I think one of the reasons they did it was they wanted flexibility. They want to work when they want to work. Yeah. And I think we will see see salons. We have already seen salons um, doing that. I, I know on Facebook someone said how he's now completely changed his working week and he actually started off going back to what we said. He went off and talked to the clients and said, would you come in here on a Thursday or would you come in on a Saturday? Thursday. Would you Because I do stuff at the weekend. And by the time he got around with all his clients, he realized that no one wanted to come in on a Saturday. Yeah. So why did he have all his team in? Where he, if he had more in during the week, he'd make more money. Um, and he flipped it around and said, well, what if we did this and and that, and he involved the team and the clients. Um, And now he's got a balanced rotor that his team are happy. So they come in and work hard uh, because they're feeling they've got the balance.
2: Um,
1: And then the clients are there when they want, when the salon's open. Yeah. So I think think before where we were virtually, we went to seven days a week. I think that's changing now. Good. I think now people are, people are valuing weekends and... Yeah. I, and mean, I, think,
0: I think the, Norway that, that they, they brought out a four-day week. Yeah,
2: yeah, they, yes.
0: They got yeah. five days' money. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. companies made more money. Yeah, they do. It, it's, if it's done right, yeah. it, it's possible.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather do three long days or four long days, so, yeah. and then have three days off. <laughs> it just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do think that's going to change. And one of the other things that I think we need to look at for future hairdressing is we need we need to there, there needs I feel sometimes with some of it um, with the pandemic. It did make people a bit nasty and it did make people a bit, oh, you do this and you do that. And, you know, again, it's a bit like, you know, when when there was a, a salon that was opened by a big brand, that's not a salon, I think you know what um, I'm talking about, <laughs> and everyone went crazy. It's a salon. It's a salon, yeah. it's a sal- you know, and at the end of the day, if you're not selling your products online now, you know clients are not buying from everyone in the shop they buy online but if you i mean that was a good thing that people, some salons did in lockdown was open their own online retail and you can do that so easily now you can have your online store in instagram and people can come and pick it up or you can get it delivered mm. but i think we have to understand that you know there's always going to be someone that's going to open something um and actually that's their problem focus on what you're doing and believe in what you're doing is right and good. But I also believe that we need to look at merging, working more with colleges to make sure that our education is working well and salons need to respect and understand what's happening with independence. And with the three areas, mm. you know, you, I mean, if a salon is quiet on a Monday, they could could hire out their chair to an independent hairdresser who has a full day of clients to work for them. You know, this independent is not going to change. They're opening up all all over. But I also think, and that's something I've always said is that I feel that um, we often say, oh, you know, college trained people need to do more. Why aren't we looking trying to work closer with the colleges? And I've, it made me think when I did my training and I think this is what made me realize that when you asked me to tell you about my beginning life of my hair journey Mm. was that in Australia, you do a four year apprenticeship and that's it. So it's four years and you do, you can't negotiate that and you do year one and then you have an exam at the end and then you move up to year two. And when you move and so you go to college one day a week, and um, that was paid by your salon. You got paid for going to college. And then you worked the rest of the time in the salon. So you got, I, I was lucky. I also got some in-salon training. But the minimum was that I went to, to college. But at the end of each year, I had to do an exam. And when I passed, I moved to year two and I got a pay rise. So I knew that if I did well at college, in part, I would move up. By, by year two, end of year two, year three, I was about, to go on the floor as well so your salon can organize that um but you did three years so it's actually four-year apprenticeship but it was three years going to college so three years training and every time you passed and moved up a level you got pay rise and then at the end of year three you then passed and you were a fully qualified hairdresser but you'd started to do a bit of work in the salon like some colors and things but for the year four you were a fourth year apprentice like a graduate stylist but you worked in the salon for that year to pay back the salon for your training yeah so they paid so I got paid five days a week but I only worked in the salon four days a week but I went to college (laughs) but then for that year I worked now when you say pay back it was paying back because I was working on the floor earning money for them I didn't have to pay them back anything Uh I just had to work doing clients yeah Um, And I still got a good pay, but it meant then that they had, you know, that was what they got for paying that one day a week. And then once you were released from your contract, you could stay with that salon or if you then wanted to move on, you could. But for me, I just kept thinking that was such a good structure because, I don't know if they still do it over there now, but it was such a good structure because every year I knew I'd get a pay rise. So every year I moved, moved up Um. And I think, you know, the pay, pay rise was set by your boss, I think. It was, it was also government-led. Yeah. But I just sort of thought, you know, it's that sort of moving up. And it also, it worked for both people. It worked for the apprentice and it worked for the salon. Mm. But we have to then make sure what the training I was getting in college was good.
2: This is the thing.
1: And, and I think, you know... I'm not sitting here saying I don't think it is good. I think some colleges are fantastic. I think yeah. some salons are fantastic. I think it's really making sure we get that standard. But I think, again, instead of just, you know, moaning about, we need to be all working together because I think, you know, I think, do believe we're going through a slight change and I think flexibility will be key.
0: Definitely. And um, I think that's crucial to work alongside colleges and because there is too much... Um, blame put on colleges. Yeah,
1: them and us. It's a yeah. them and us society, which I don't I've never I've never approved of. I've never no. really agreed.
0: Um, I work with um uh, jet training in Basildon in Essex a they're yeah. they are fantastic. You know, to me they are they're they're right up there as being how um a college worked. Yeah. And you go you know, I mean they filmed hair pair wars in there and yeah. the show and
2: yeah.
1: you know it's the same with we worked with easy hair at charles worthington so easy hair came and delivered the theory and we did the practical and right. they're fantastic yeah yeah and they're an, they're an essex-based company
0: right And well, that's the thing and you go in jet say and 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 it but it looks like a, a real funky salon in there and you know like but we it external owners must work alongside colleges and form a real strong partnership, not, not just, not just send them off once a week and then complain that they're not getting, you know, yeah. get involved, say what, you know, speak to colleges, say what you want, what you, yeah. want you, you, your yeah. trainees to learn and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It, it's and good.
1: also when you're, when you're, when your student comes back, you know, what did you do at college? What did you learn? Well, you know, show me photos. You know, there's no excuse for not showing photos of everything they do.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, because that is a way of, of getting, making sure that they're moving on. And I know I know a lot of people do that, but I think we, we, all, we all want to, you know, move that standard up. That's got yeah. to be the, the next thing. And I think also too, a huge shout out to all the apprentices and all the assistants yeah. because they're the ones that have missed out on practical training for the last year and a half. And I, I think, you know, without them, you know, they're, they're incredible um, and they're the future yeah
0: um, crucial yeah absolutely it's a crucial part of the growth and survival of our industry i think
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: well wow i'm worn out (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i warned you out (laughs) because it's like i just you just brought back so many memories i could have spoke for a couple of hours i think it was like you know, so many good stuff. So much I
1: know, fun. I didn't even get to tell you any funny stories of all the hair shows I've done. <laughs> oh,
0: no, no, we'll do that in part two. Yeah, That's exactly. Two. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I just really, I'm so glad I've, I've got to speak to you, you know. Oh. We, we've had fleeting conversations, we've recently playing a colour world and all that, but.
1: I know we keep keep crossing paths, you and I, don't we? Which is lovely because, you know, I remember the first time I ran into you and I hadn't seen you for a long time. We were at an event um, for Evo Pair, I think.
0: Oh, Evo, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and... in a warehouse, weren't we? Yes. And I always, you know, I, I'm always aware of what you're doing and, you know, with a haircut part for homeless and uh, if you do your education back again, I will definitely help oh, out. No. Sure. We'll,
0: we'll get, we'll yeah. go, we're definitely working, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to Jet and we, we're definitely going to get that going again.
2: Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Carolyn Newman, it's been a pleasure and um, I wish you all the best for the future. Thanks for coming on and uh, I'm going to put all the links on to Carolyn's, uh, all her educational stuff and everything else. That'll all go on this as well, but uh, yeah, much love. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Stuart. Thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.